This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. Welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary traveler. Hang your cloak on a peg, grab a stool, and come warm yourself by the fire. There are stories to be told, and you are among friends. Carlos Kajina is our technical producer, and Ryan White is our live stream producer. Please check out the YouTube channel, Strange Planet, and the Rumble channel, Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. Coming up in the second hour, business leader, intuitive, spiritual teacher, Gail Lynn will be here. She's the inventor of the harmonic egg, a sound and light chamber that's used for physical, mental, emotional, psychological, and spiritual healing. This hour, the pandemic, shutdowns, riots, political unrest, vaccinations, the mark of the beast, and the sleeping church. How are all these things connected? The modern world has uh, seen unparalleled challenges, circumstances, and travesties. Between the pandemic of COVID-19, ensuing shutdowns, riots, economic strains, unprecedented political upset, and even cosmic disturbances and natural disasters, some with a biblical worldview, citing prophetic implications as the source of current difficulties, while others stated that 2020 was a uniquely difficult year. However, are greater strands at work beneath the surface of the population's difficulty? Are these hardships all components within a larger satanic plot? If so, surely the church will identify this malevolence and intervene on behalf of humanity. Right? Right? Or will it? That's where we're headed for the next hour. Donna Howell is the current managing editor and writer researcher for Defender Publishing and a former CEO of Anomalous Publishing. Donna is the best-selling author of Handmaiden's Conspiracy, Radicals, Final Fire, and Redeemed Unredeemable. She's also recently co-authored Encounters with Allie Anderson Henson and Afterlife with Allie and Josh Peck. Allie Henson is a credentialed private investigator that oversees the research arm of Skywatch TV and Defender Publishing. 
Her exploratory works have appeared in numerous books, documentaries, magazines, and television specials. Recent contributions include her bestsellers, Time Bomb, and Unscrambling the Millennial Paradox. And Donna and Ali's latest is Dark Covenant, How the Masses Are Being Groomed to Embrace the Unthinkable While the Leaders of Organized Religion Make a Deal with the Devil. Donna Howell and Ali Hansen, welcome. How are you? Good to be back. Hi. Thank you very much. Hi, Ruth. Thanks for having us. Oh, my pleasure. This is uh, pretty controversial stuff because right out of the gate, you accuse the Western Church, Christianity, the Western Church, of being a cult. First of all, let's define some terms. What do you mean by a cult? Yeah, okay, so there is actually kind of a definition debate going on with the word cult, uh, because what one man might call a cult, another man might call a a responsibly experienced religion. And so you do kind of have to play the terms game to get to the bottom of what that actually means. So just starting at the beginning and going Briefly giving you the mu- the one-minute version, cult in a dictionary is defined as a system of religious beliefs and ritual regarded as unorthodox, spurious, or dangerous. Uh, but when you trace the word cult all the way back to the very, very beginning, to, the, to its etymological roots, the etymology is the study of the, uh, the origin of words. If you go all the way back to the very beginning and see how it connects to other words like cultivated and culture and so on, what you see is you see these nomadic groups settling in different places. Not all of them were uh, adherents of Yahwism or Judaism. They weren't all particular uh, one religion versus another, but wherever they settled, their uh, the religion that they, as a people, came together to worship forward with, whenever somebody turned their back on that religion by no longer putting in their head, their heart, or their spirit what they were required to in order to be consider, considered uh, a follower of that religion, they were considered to be a part of a, 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 a group that had turned its back on their own culture or their cult. So when I say, when I, Donna Howell, say that the the Western church is becoming a cult, everybody gasps. Everybody goes, oh my gosh, that's a shocking thing to say. But a lot of preachers have come before me and have said that our church is becoming apostate, and nobody has a problem uh, uh, accepting that. Now, by apostate, uh, just to define very briefly, in Second Thessalonians 2-3, it says the apostasy comes first and then the Antichrist appears. It's referring to an end-time, one-world kind of global religion that is going to be uh, led by the Antichrist with the mark of the beast. And so everybody's familiar with that. The Church prepares the way for him by embracing the apostasy. It's the turning of our back on the the church that belongs to not just our culture, because that is what the word originally meant, but now as it pertains to Christianity, the, defin- of the definition of the word cult and the definition of the word apostasy become synonymous. They mean the same thing. So when we have people that are saying, oh no, the church is becoming apostate, we are becoming that Christless 
church that is going to become the church of the end times, everybody goes, yeah, yeah, I agree. But if you say it's a becoming a cult, everybody goes, oh. So when you, when you look at that, you have to re- remember that Revelation defines these as the same thing. Now, how do you know? There's, there's a little bit of a how do you know when you're a part of a cult-type scenario. And everybody says, well, I don't know, because what one man thinks is a cult, another man thinks is healthy religion. No, there is a very specific, definite line, and it goes like this. When you no longer can, can, can recognize what is a part of your religion from your heart and from your memory, when you can no longer recognize something that contradicts that, you are no longer a part of that religion in its full level of adherence. In other words, the way that I recognize when there is a false teacher is because I read my Bible. Now, alarmingly, only 13% of all Christians in the West read their Bibles regularly, only 13%, which means that 87% of Christians are primed so that when the man of sin or even, uh, you know, a, a, a nutty uh, pastor comes into their local congregation and starts preaching something that is a false word, 87% of us are primed to accept whatever that teacher is saying. That is what a cult is before. Because remember, almost all cults that we recognize today, we think Charles Manson, we think, you know, people, uh, Jonestown, we think these crazy big examples, well, yeah, those guys look crazy, yes, but they started as innocent worship groups, and the only way they became something more dangerous was by blindly following a leader, and we, when we only 13% of us Christians in the West read the Word, that means 87% of us are primed to accept the claims of such a leader. And the statistics, by the way, they're horrible. Only 41 to 43% of Christians, professing Christians in the West consider Scripture to be accurate. 63% say God is not the provider of the truth and the Bible can't be trusted. These are professing Christians. 46% believe that Jesus sinned while he was on earth. 65% deny the incarnation of Christ, believing that Jesus is a being whom God created. 47% in the millennial age bracket believe that evangelism is morally wrong, as it may pressure someone someone to change faith. And of course, you know, they don't understand that that what they're actually confusing is proselytization with evangelism. These are alarming numbers. They are. So how did this happen? Is this the fault of... congregations or is it the was it deliberate was the church leadership infiltrated there's a documentary now that's uh, out and i i heard about uh, it i saw it or i heard it advertised on um patriot radio and it's about how uh you know wokeism has infiltrated the church and so you hear people in the pulpit uh talking about you know how it's not it's not good enough for uh, Christians to, um, you know, denounce racism. They have to embrace anti-racism and all of these, these you know, woke terms. Did it come from the bottom up or the top down? Well, I can tell you that, again, going back to Second Thessalonians 2.3, it does specifically say the apostasy comes first and then the Antichrist appears. So what's happening is it's kind of, it's kind of a leaderless cult. 
in this sense that what's happening right now is bottom up. The people have been in a very, very great country for a very long time. Their mommies and daddies read the Bible for them, and they brought them up teaching them whatever they needed to hear. Now we're all the way flipped to the other side where we're in a postmodernist culture. There is no definite moral truth. There is, you know, everything is this, what is your truth? What is my truth? And, and it's become offensive to say, I do actually know what the truth is, and it's found in this book, and nobody can shake me from that conclusion. So the Bible is slowly becoming hate speech, which makes Christians feel a little bit less bold, because even the most sincere ones don't know, how to do, uh, don't know what to do with the fact that their very religion has become offense to culture. So it is kind of a bottom-up problem. And what we're doing is we're creating a leaderless cult here. If cults begin as innocent worship groups, and, and we, we visited that a moment ago that they do, then lazily position themselves to accept the brainwasher by re- either, being too, either being too busy. I do understand some of it is not laziness. Some people are just strapped with time. Uh, to be part of that 13% or excuse me, the 87% that don't read the Bibles regularly, then the West is building the cult backwards. We're already accepting teaching that comes from the leaders whose theology is factually a train wreck, and we will not right. recognize that for what it is. So it's going to grow okay, so up to the top when, rung. When the Antichrist arrives and we all say, well, we're not going to be deceived because it says right in Revelation that he will blaspheme and he will declare himself you know, to be to be uh, uh, the one true God. And w- w- now we've been warned. So there's no way that we're going to be deceived. It's it's we've been warned. But w- if I right. hear what you're saying correctly is it's going to be far more subtle than that. And because we don't know the Bible, we are going to be easily deceived. Yeah, we need to remember that what we are talking about when we talk about the Antichrist, the Bible is very clear that this is the most deceptive man in the history of all humanity, and this is going to be, and what he preaches, what he stands for is going to be the greatest deception in all time. So when you look at how a cult happens, and you look at the formation of a cult, where they go from uh, an innocent worship group to something else under a leader like Manson or whatever, what happens is, and our book takes a brief look at, at many cult leaders of the recent past, including uh, 12 messianic claimants and their psychology and their doc- indoctrination and exploitation maneuvers, and a common approach to manipulation to give you, again, the short download version, the first thing they do is they establish the Bible as the final word on every situation. So far, so good. That's going to get a lot of Christians believing and listening. The second thing they do is they very subtly twist that scripture to fit the programming and the agenda of the cult leader. And so that the third thing they can do is shame anybody that doesn't believe with their interpretation, um, insinuating then that the follower is not only rejecting the leader, they're rejecting the Bible itself and therefore forsaking God. So when you look at how the leader eventually through his exploitation maneuvers becomes a control you it's just like it's just like this when you watch a documentary on the manson family a lot of people will sit there and go how could they ever have followed that guy you know what i mean but we but then people who can sit down and say look i've studied cults for 10 years the way that i have and i can tell you how these things 
form if you were in that group from the beginning, if he caught you while you were as naive or as you knew so little about what the Bible said, if you had been there and you'd felt this familial, beautiful embrace from the leader, trust me, you would have fallen for it too. It's easy on the outside to say, no, I wouldn't. I was warned. I knew that guy was nuts. Donna Howell and Allie Henson, uh, Dark Covenant, how the masses are being groomed to embrace the unthinkable while the leaders of organized religion make a deal with the devil. Allie, you you talk about how society is being conditioned to embrace the unthinkable. What do you mean by that? Well, um, yeah, being conditioned to embrace the unthinkable. Well, you know, Donna's talking about if Western Christianity is a leaderless cult and we're priming the path for the Antichrist to come in and take the throne. Well, we're talking about the Christian Church, and so when we're talking about, you know, the fact that these other cults have happened, and the rest of the world could stand back after all of those people um, died under Jim Jones's watch in Guyana, and um, and other other kinds of travesties, you know, the rest of the world could stand back and say, that was that was that group of people you know those people were quote unquote crazy or they were a cult and they were deceived or whichever spin you want to put on it but this guy is not only going to condition the church and take the throne there he's going to condition secular society and in secular society you know there are a lot of people who have a very strong moral compass they may not believe in god um, but they do have a really good understanding of right and wrong and they're very well educated people they're not just going to suddenly be completely blindsided and taken by um by a figure that just walks in and starts doing the kinds of things that the Antichrist will do. So this is a this is a global conditioning that's happening both inside and outside the church. So when I'm talking about uh you know people being conditioned to embrace the unthinkable, I'm talking about um you know when you have this situation where in every single angle it's ramping up you know, people are being primed for the kinds of things that come before what the what the Antichrist will do. Um, you know, that we've. I'm sorry. Um, we have these situations where, for example, hate speech is becoming. Um, Christianity is becoming hate speech. So as Christianity increasingly becomes viewed as hate speech, um, the warning about the Antichrist, even those who spot him, you know, won't be listened to because they will already have been distanced from the politically correct um, crowd of regular society and been shoved over into a corner um, as those don't listen to those people. It's It's hate speech. You know, and then, you know, we have things like this gets a little bit um, Orwellian here, but talking about situations where this is through the COVID shutdowns and things like that, our, our, our populace started to begin to be pit against each other. So my neighbor, you know, I'm going to report my neighbor for something that he did that I don't agree with or things like that. Um, and, in, and in the situation of hate speech, you know, you have world right now that are, are making laws about um, the kind of language that can even be spoken in the privacy of the home. So children are being encouraged to report their parents for what they what might be deemed as hate speech happening in the home, even at the dinner table. You know, this is a kind of dividing of our population that's going to happen one from the other. And as we lose our unity, increased depravity will be accepted. Um, 
We also have other things paving the way for the um, the beast society, like um, the cashless society becoming more of a thing. Um, you know, and I believe that there are powers that are polarizing factions um, of people against each other right now, which I've kind of mentioned already, but it's happening in lots of different ways. And society is being split um, by demographic and and by religion and basically anything that any one person may stand for. It's being something that right now is being used to kind of hijack people passions and divide them. Um, you know, children are being conditioned to accept increasing levels of depravity. Um, they're definitely conditioning going after our children right now. And no what question. a previous generation would have said is is completely immoral, is being served to them as completely normal, and they're being conditioned to accept it. Um, there's a war on churches. Um, during the COVID shutdowns, we saw religious espionage. Um, and then there's just increasing things that are becoming more of a conversation that's being floated, like legalizing euthanasia and things like that. Before we can get all the way to what the Antichrist will want to do, we've got to jump some of these hurdles and get the populace all across the globe on board for all of it. So when we're talking about people being groomed to embrace the unthinkable, we're talking about, from secular society's point of view, we're talking about it on the political level, on the social level, on the psychological level, on the behavioral level, as it pertains to conditioning our children, and on the religious level. Right. It's, it's it, The church is fighting a, a two-front war from within and from without. Uh, Donna Howell and Allie Henson are with us. Dark Covenant, how the masses are being groomed to embrace the unthinkable while the leaders of organized religion make a deal with the devil. We'll take a quick time out, come back, and more of our conversation. Stay with us. We're back with Donna Howell and Allie Henson, Dark Covenant. How the masses are being groomed to embrace the unthinkable while the leaders of organized religion make a deal with the devil. And so what what is happening right now uh, to many of us uh, seems surreal, Um, this descent into a dystopian nightmare. But it also seems very familiar uh, because we've it's like a movie we've seen before or or a science fiction book, you know, Soylent Green or or you mentioned Orwell. Uh, 1984. Is that is that predictive programming? Those, those science fiction movies, Orwell's 1984. Were they priming the pump? Were they, or is it a self fulfilling prophecy? How does that work? Well, we. We kind of entertain that idea a little bit in the book, and the truth is, it's tough to tell um, whether it's it's from the idea that people dream up in the sci-fi that things then come to be, or if it's predictive programming. Uh, programming. Um, I, I will say this, though, and we make this statement in the book, we are living the sci-fi our grandparents were afraid of. And we actually used sci-fi to kind of talk about where we could be going. And the reason why is because when we're looking at sci-fi, it, 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 it begs three questions. Where have we been? Where are we now? And where are we going? So, for example, I talk about where we've been, we used to be a society that, um, you know, would dream of things like the Motorola flip phone. And, you know, that was, that was in Star Trek actually inspired that invention. The Jetsons with the little, um, you know, the TV, the video chatting, and now we have that everywhere. And, and the thing that really will restrain mankind from going anywhere, there are two obstacles that will keep us from doing anything we dream up, and that is, will technology permit it? And will our level of depravity versus legality allow it? Um, or depravity versus morality? Um, 
And, and basically, if technology allows it, we'll go there on some level unless our call to morality or our, our, our legality will, will stop us from going there. And so when we, when we look at what we've dreamed up in the past, as you mentioned, the predictive programming, we actually do usually end up going there in some way or another. Now, there is a realm of sci-fi that we just haven't we haven't got to, and maybe it'll never happen. But a lot of what we were dreaming of in previous decades um, has actually come true. And another thing that's happened that we can see through the media, and I'm going to use this example of the movie Whatever Happened to Baby Jane with Betty Davis in it in 1960. And um, she's mad at her sister, and she's going to call her sister an expletive that is defined as a female dog. And she gets really upset, and she says, you miserable. Then she mouths the word, but she doesn't even say it. And the buzzer that's part of the plot comes in over the top of her. So you see her mouth mouth the word, but the buzzer goes, eh, so she doesn't actually have to say it because to speak that word in that movie would have been intolerable in 1960. Now, fast forward to even as recently as last year, there is a television, I see my, my, I'm dating myself now, my age, we still call it television. It's a streaming show, <laughs> um, and it's, um, it's uh, comic books, um, kind of superhero type characters, and it is geared toward teenage boys, specifically, it's very marketed toward the teenage, um, toward the teenage age. And this show has pornography going on in it. So the people are sitting in the show on the couch and they're talking, and then they're watching porn in the show. Then the camera will angle onto the screen and show the porn they're watching. And this happens in several different episodes of this show. And, you know, so we've gone from an era where Betty Davis had to mouth the word with the buzzer going over the top of her because she wasn't allowed to even actually utter the word fast forward and we're showing full-on pornography in our comic book superhero shows that are geared toward children Mm -hmm. and there are some people out there that might say you know this Allie Henson she's just a conservative Bible believing Christian I'm sure it's not that bad but an, an author for Cosmopolitan wrote about this series and said that the sex scenes in this show were so messed up that they seared the inside of her eyelids with visuals she could never scrub off of them. So, and Cosmopolitan is a pretty liberal magazine. So, yes. this isn't just me being, you know, overly prude. This is me saying within a series of decades, we have gone from technology we never thought would be possible and a level of depravity we would never dreamed would be possible. And now here we are. So, oh, there's no where question. are we it's going satanic. next? It's satanic. The, the mighty Aphrodite and I, that's my lovely bride. Uh, a few months ago, we decided, I mean, we, we don't watch uh, much TV, so we watched, we rewatched, I suppose, the old Dick Van Dyke series, you know, Separate Beds, 1960s, such yeah. uplifting, wonderful messages, just to mm-hmm. kind of, you know, I guess, cleanse our palate, if I can use that expression. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I just, I, I, I don't know how else to describe what's, what's pouring out of Hollywood other than absolute, mm-hmm. uh, it's just satanic. That's all. Um, to what extent does this technology that you were talking about earlier, um, social media, we can throw that in there as well, uh, mm-hmm. feed the Antichrist system? Well, it's the short version, that's a short answer. Uh, identifying how all of it is possible, everything that he's going to use, 
to reach the masses. It, it partly also relies on identifying how the human appetite has actually demanded the steps to be put in place for this kind of technology as well. So we stump our feet for, uh, you know, global conveniences and technology that put us in touch with anybody on the earth, uh, any at the snap of a finger in in any kind of an in uh, in any language that we decide can be instantaneously uh, um, calculated. I'm sorry, what's the word? Translated. Sorry about that. We have instantaneous currency conversion. We have flights to any anywhere in the world any day of the year. We have individualistic consumer trends and international trade, so online shopping and that sort of thing. Uh, everything that is immediate is feeding our reliance upon that immediacy for everything that we do, including media streaming across devices, no matter where we are, user-uploaded entertainment and information trading, on and on and on and on the go- that list goes. So we lose sight that these conveniences are also laying the groundwork for Everybody, you know, back in the 90s, uh, I remember that a lot of people were worried about the one world order, the one world order. It's a one world everything scenario. We're becoming linked into kind of a hive mind. Uh, These things that you see, like, for instance, on the Johnny Depp film Transcendent or Transcendent Man, whatever that one's called, um, that that particular movie, they all of the characters upload their um, their intellect, their cognitive capability into a hive mind. So it's kind of like everybody looks at that now and they're like, oh, come on, that doesn't exist. Oh, we are very much getting there right now. We're already there in a one world everything scenario with things that we participate in. And this is exactly uh, one of the ways that the uh, Antichrist will come to power. He will be seen everywhere. And his words will be understood in every global language. So it's just one of the many. He'll use technology and every capability that that he possibly can, including the abomination of desolation, which Ali remembers. There's a there's a a, a set of movies back from the 1970s where um, oh, yeah. the abomination of desolation is like a, a robot. It's an AI that's sitting in the temple. Well, mm-hmm. it's not even going to need to be that archaic. By the time this this thing comes to fruition, the abomination could be any number of different kind of artificial intelligence or biological intelligence that's artificially integrated. Well, let me ask you about... Um, oh, go ahead. I, I was going to... We got about two minutes here before, two and a half minutes before the break. But... Oh, okay. The Antichrist... Do we need a third temple to be built? Because the way you're describing the church, you know, the super, the super church, the silent church, um, and and the Antichrist taking that over, maybe maybe you know, the, the prophecy about the construction of a third temple isn't even necessary. Maybe what they're talking about is the church, as in the Western church. Is that possible? We didn't go into deep uh, analysis on that particular terminology in this book, but we have talked about that, and that is certainly a possibility. Just the number of of, of different uh, the number of different moments throughout uh, Israel's history and in coming into uh, the history of Christianity since two thousand years ago, all kinds of symbolisms and different things that we've discovered from have had their prophetic fulfillment in a way that wasn't necessarily expected. Now, could the would would the thir- the rebuilding of the third temple that might be a literal thing, 
Um, is there a way that that could be fulfilled outside of the literal brick-by-brick brick prophecy? Uh, it's very possible. And that's one of the things that we need to, to, to continue to talk about and think about and postulate about. We don't have to have every answer in the book, but we do need to start asking every question from the pulpit and getting people engaged in the conversation. Because, again, if 13% of people in the West are reading their Bibles, 87% don't even know what we're talking about half the time. And I don't want to talk over people's heads. I want them to know the gospel. So, you know what I'm saying? We need to engage. Right, right. Well, the other thing that's happening, and you point this out in the book, uh, uh, Donna and Allie, is all this, you know, uh, Christians now trolling each other on social media and, and sort of trying to tear each other down and prove, you know, oh, you don't know the Bible as well as I know the Bible. And they'll start exchanging, you know, well, what will, uh, you know, uh, Matthew uh, chapter this and verse says this, ah, but what about Daniel? And, and I mean, some of that might be healthy, but it seems to be more of a kind of a got you game that's going on right now. Uh, I'll get you to pick up on that on the other side. I see we're, we're due for a break here. Uh, Donna Howell and Ali Henson, dark covenant, how the masses are being groomed to embrace the unthinkable while the leaders of organized religion make a deal with the devil back with more of our conversation right after these. Different views make great conversation. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio. To speak with Richard live, call 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. And we are back with Donna Howell and Allie Henson, Defender Publishing, Dark Covenant. Uh, Before the break... Don and Ali, I was talking about um, Christians kind of trolling each other now on social media and, and kind of playing this uh, one-upsmanship, uh, throwing around Bible quotes. And, and what's that all about? Is that, is that uh, I don't know, satanic in any way? Is, is, is the devil trying to turn us against each other, or what's happening? Well, I, I absolutely think that it is satanic, and it, I think that it is a tactic from the enemy to get the Church to— um, you know, divide amongst itself. And we're not focusing on the Great Commission if we're busy fighting with each other about who best understands Matthew 5 5 or whatever scripture we're debating that day. Um, I also think that, um, you know, the technology that we have, um, you and Donna were kind of talking a little bit about this a minute ago, and I was at the time going to throw in some of the technology serves to divide people because we're depersonalized when we're isolated behind our computer screen. I'm going to be a lot meaner on on Facebook than I would be face-to-face with you because I have to make eye contact with you and read your body language and see that my words are disturbing you. But when I can just pop off with a real fast little, ha-ha, look at me, I'm right, kind of a comment, a lot of people allow that to create a bigger division between humanity. And honestly, that's a disservice of technology. But on top of that, Something that Donna and I talked about at length in the book um, is we talked about all the different manipulation tactics that are be done, being done both in the church and in society at large. We name these, and we explain how they work in an interpersonal relationship, and we explain how they work in, um, in society. And one yeah. of those tactics we talked a little is bit about polarize and divide. There are others. Yeah. What's, what's that? I'm saying, yeah, we talked a little bit about conditioning, which is one of them, but but that there are others, as you say, in the book. Let's walk through a few of those. Yeah, one of them is um, polarizing and dividing the crowd, um, and often in the in 
in society, this is done by factions. Um, you know, get people each to belong to a different faction, and pretty soon a community that should be together and united and taken other is fighting over demographics or factions or causes and it's it's it divides us well the church is doing the same thing that's one of the tactics that we discussed in the book all right uh can you share another one with us oh sure um yeah so another one this is um this is used more often in sales is where we would recognize it, but um, foot in the door and door in the face. So here's how these two work. They're kind of the same but opposite. Foot in the door is if I want $10 from you, I'm going to come to you and, I can, and I'll say, hey, can I have $2? And if you give me two, I'll come back and say, hey, now can I have three? And you give me three and I come back and I say, hey, now can I have five? I don't come out and ask for the whole $10. I get you in these little pieces. That's foot in the door. The idea is once my foot's in the door, it's harder to tell me no. The yeah, that's how the left works. The that's all, that's how that? the, the radical progressives work, is they push a little bit, then you resist, mm-hmm. and then they ease off. And as soon as you relax a little bit because they've eased off a little bit, then they come at you again, and they push a little bit further. And before you know it, you're taking little half steps backwards, but you think you're standing still. And before you know it, you know, you're, you're, you've moved backwards five, six, seven, eight steps, and then they, they're relentless. They keep coming. They keep yeah. coming. Pushing, yeah, testing. absolutely. Yeah. One of the ways that we talked about how this is happening in society is that, um, you know, for example, um, with some of the TV programming, again, we talked a lot about media in this book, because what's happening in media is a reflection of where society is going mentally. But one of the things they'll do, they'll put up something very scandalous, and then they'll dial it back. So now the conversation's happening. Even if there's a big pretend public apology and they take it down, or, oh, that was an accident, you know, the the conversation has been introduced to the crowd, and now, once the conversation has been introduced, you can shape it by programming people with the right thing. And, you know, don't forget that 90% of the media that we see is owned by six key voices. This is a reigning civil oligarchy that's programming our people every day. And so what I mean by that is they can introduce an idea through some scandalous news story or through some movie that was very offensive, and then they can dial it back. Now that this conversation's happening, because they own so many of this so many different kinds of media with these same six voices. They own both the news media outlets and the movies and the streaming services and the printed magazines. Pretty soon, the same idea is popping up everywhere. And where it might be scandalous over here, it's getting romanticized over there. And over here, it's in the news. And all of a sudden, a person can look at this and say, wow, this is a new hot topic. It's everywhere. No, it's not. Those six voices are pushing it. But you think it's everywhere Mm -hmm. because they're trying to condition you to embrace it. Excellent point. Yeah. yeah, I think that's right out of the Communist Manifesto as well. It's called it's called gradualism. So they're, well, um, they're rebranding it and they're calling it streaming out shows. There you go. <laughs> and there you go. Magazines. <laughs> Super briefly, so how, here's the other thing: pluralism yeah. as a societal term, not as a theological term, because that means something else. But as a societal term, pluralism when it works means that a Christian can live next door to a Buddhist, who can live next door to a Muslim, who lives next door to a Hindu. Nobody is coerced to worship in the same way that anyone else does. Okay, now that is not the same goal as syncretism. Syncretism as a societal and a theological term is the blending of all world religions into one. 
the statement that says Jesus accepts, or excuse me, God accepts all the worship uh, that's out there, all the world religions. Um, the idea that he would accept them all is still not quite what we're talking about. The idea that they will one day be blended into an uber-global religion, that's something that is uh, is currently being fed on a very, very deeply uh, psychological level in a very foot-in-the-door kind of way by not only people in the, U- in the uh, United States government, but also people like uh, in, in very, very high religious uh, places are, 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 are vying for this goal. The idea Right, that they we call would, it ecumenicalism. It's, um, it's, it's a real it's, fancy buzzword these days. We'll, uh, we have, this was a short segment. We'll uh, come back and we'll have about 10 minutes to bring it on home. Donna Howell, Ali Henson from Defender Publishing, Dark Covenant, how the masses are being groomed to embrace the unthinkable while the leaders of organized religion make a deal with the devil. Back with more in a minute. Don't go away. Question everything. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio. Shaking the world and seeing what falls. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. Donna Howell, Ali Henson, Dark Covenant. We were talking about, I, I believe you were talking about sort of the ecumenical um, movement so the idea here is to create this, you know, we talked about the New World Order. There is a, 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 or a, a one-world church. This would be the super church. So what is the role then of this super church uh, when the beast system or the Antichrist system is, is implemented? Well, uh, so it, uh, honestly, it's going to be postulated as some kind of an, a pluralistic peaceful society. But it is going to be... Uh, it's going to be the most convincing and deceptive cult of all. And it's going to have members who look like and act like regular, everyday people who follow Christ. And following Christ, uh, which normally, as of, uh, as of today, still requires reading and understanding the Bible, the Church of Tomorrow is going to be, listen and follow the leader. And it's going to be everywhere. Uh, the word prestidigitation, it means, uh, while I'm showing you something my right hand is doing, my left hand has slipped in uh, the eighth up the sleeve, or, or vice versa. And what's happening is a lot of these um, governmental superpowers, including religious superpowers, they are they're completing an act of prestidigitation. They're showing you pluralism as a societal goal on one hand, while they're slipping in syncretism on the other. Or uh, ecumenicalism, that, 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 that could be another synonymous word, but the idea is the blending of all forms of worship into one. And when the Antichrist does come, he's not only going to do this religiously, he's going to do it politically and socially. He's going to have the answers to world hunger, global strife, disease, racial, in- racial inequality, class inequality, gender inequality, and countless other philanthropic and humanitarian efforts that this world, a religiously and socially and politically fragmented world, has never been able to solve. So he's going to stand up and have a lot of answers. He's going to be very deceptive. And that church is going to be global everywhere. Right. And we're going to be all so beaten down by that point. We'll welcome it. Well, yeah. When he has the answers, even to the, even to the Christian who says, are you, are you sure that my religion is hate speech? 
he's going to come in and say, no, 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 no. Everybody needs to calm down, and he's going to smooth it over even in that regard. Hmm. So how is the church to respond then? How do we, how do we, I mean, or, and can, or can we? I mean, isn't this all sort of prophesied? Isn't this part of the, the great scheme that this is supposed to happen this way, that the church is the harlot and the harlot will be consumed by the beast and, and then there'll be this final battle? I mean, we, we know how the movie ends. Right. And well, there's actually, um, go for it, Allie. Oh, I was just going to say, one thing about this book is that we are talking to the Church and to the secular world. Um, half of what's in this book has nothing to do, it has everything to do with how the secular world is being conditioned, and the Church needs to know it too, but even if you are not a Bible-believing Christian, there's a lot about which oh, refuse Sorry, Allie, we're cutting in and out there a little refuse bit. I, I Maybe Donna, you want to pick up phone. on that? I'm I think so we, um, um, Allie's uh, signal is cutting in and out a little bit. I think oh, what Allie's trying to say is that it, this book is. It, it, there are things, even if you're not a Bible believing Christian, this book right. is showing you some of these kinds of manipulation, psychological and societal manipulation tactics that are being implemented all the way uh, across the board. But to answer your first question, don't we know how the book ends? Yeah, that is true, and that is an eventual reality. But there's also a theology of the delaying of the wrath of God. And we need to remember that that's not a very often spoken of thing, but and, and it's very long, this segment's very short, we're near the end. I will tell you that the book goes into it more, but the bottom line is that it is our responsibility to try as long as possible to put off the wrath of God. The wrath of God is going to happen. He said it would happen. He's not a capricious or an inconsistent God, but the idea that we could and should put it off and delay it in the same way that it was delayed for Nineveh, in the same day, way that it was delayed for King Hezekiah, Kaya, there is a wrath of God coming, but it's our responsibility to be active in a culture where we can go against the grain, stand for holiness in a world just like the Israelites versus the pagans. We should be in a position to stand for what is morally correct, regardless of whether or not we're Christians or not. We should be standing for what is morally correct in the hopes that we can, in fact, delay what Christians would identify as the wrath of God and what secular minds would uh, identify as a, a, a very kind of apocalyptic society that we're heading towards rapid pace. Allie, did you as want to add anything to that? Did... We'll try your phone again here. Well, I yeah, oh, apologize for my phone. I'm not sure what the technical difficulty is tonight. But, yeah, just mainly, um, she she pretty much summed it up, but I was just going to say, you know, as for the secular world, refuse to be uh, conditioned. Watch what's going on with your kids. We've got an entire chapter on the education indoctrination that's going on with our children right now. They are being conditioned, whether you're a Christian or not. People are working on conditioning your children to accept things that you are not okay with as their parent. Um, be aware of that. Um, fight against that and stand against that. You know, watch what's going on in society. We don't, we don't need to go to a cashless society. I mean, there's all these things that people are like, well, does the temple need to be rebuilt? Does, does, do we need to have the wrath of God? One of the things that we know is going to happen is we'll be at a cashless society and we're 99% there, you know, so that's one of the things that we can, you know, try to, it's, it's silly and practical in a way, but just, you know, try to carry you get the sense of more that, that finally in society uh, and, and with that as, kind of stuff right do you, you get a sense though that finally people are and both secular 
people and within the church and the different religions, everyone, this might be kind of a one of the things that's unifying us is we're finally kind of pushing back. We're seeing uh, the rise of populist uh uh, movements, particularly in in Europe right now, people uh, they want their culture, they want their faith, they want you know they want government out of their lives. We're seeing it here as a reaction to COVID. As I speak, we have this huge truck convoy for freedom that is descending on Ottawa. By some reports, there may be something like fifty thousand trucks heading to Ottawa to end all of these mandates. Um, wow. So that we are getting a pushback. Maybe it's more of a secular pushback. But do you do you sense that? The tide seems to be turning a little bit. I feel it is. I feel that awareness is raising, and I think that, again, as we've been saying, the Church, I think, has a revolution beginning. And I also feel that secular society is starting to stand up and say, you know, I mean, for example, medical autonomy um, has never been so under threat as it is right now, and that's not a religious issue. Some people think it's, you know, simultaneous with the Church, but it's not. There are people who are not within the Church who want to stand for medical autonomy and say, I, you know, I don't want to, to take these different mandates. So I think that, you know, the the powers that be are going to try to take as much control as we will give them without a fight. And I'm not talking about, you know, a, a, a bearing arms kind of fight. I'm talking like you're, you're talking about pushback, being aware, watching for these manipulation tactics and, and spotting them when they happen and saying, oh, I, I, I know that tactic. I'm going to fight back against that. You know, it's happening in the secular world and it's happening in the church. Yeah, and one last thing on that note. Just one super quick thing. We do need to be aware. It starts with awareness, but it also starts with action. And you asked me a few minutes ago, Richard, well, what do we do? Okay, we also need to start thinking outside the box. Everybody comes to this idea, okay, I feel convicted. I need to do something about it. I guess I need to join a church. And then they go join a church, and the pastor says, thank you for joining our church. You can go work in the nursery. And they go, ah, never mind. God didn't call me for anything. We need to start getting radically outside the four walls of the institutional church with our message. So we're talking about a church that follows the New Testament model, passionate New Testament apostolic model, but that, that operates out the churches that are, are are only open from Sunday morning at, you know, 8 to, to noon. We need to get outside the box. Acts 2-4 states that although the apostles did continue to attend temple, they also, quote, broke bread in their homes, received their food with glad and generous hearts. My husband and I opened up our home, and we have seen several people get saved. We've seen several people come to the knowledge of Scripture that they didn't know before, entirely based on the idea that we opened up our home and we called it dinner. And that took off. So the book does give a lot of other uh, ideas as, as far as that's concerned. Fantastic. Yeah, we definitely uh, need to Allie? have a generation of churches that when they close your Sunday morning church service down, they haven't closed your church. Mm. That's right. Well, yeah, we're going underground if need be. <laughs> yeah. Dark dark covenant. The masses are being groomed to embrace the unthinkable while the leaders of organized religion make a deal with the devil. Donna and Ali, thank you so much. And this is Defender, available at skywatchtv.com, is it? Mm-hmm. And skywatchstore.com. skywatchstore.com. Skywatchstore, that's it, skywatchstore.com. TV Thank you so much, Richard. It was a pleasure being on with you again. Likewise. Yeah, thank thank you. you, Don and Allie. All right. When we come back, Gail Lynn, inventor, author, intuitive, spiritual teacher, business leader, 
and the creator of something called the Harmonic Egg. We'll have that story for you next. Stay with us. Question everything. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio. Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett on Zoomer Radio. Hey, thanks for inviting me into your home, your long-haul truck, RV, camper, taxi, your parents' well-appointed basement with the simulated wood paneling, electric fireplace, and the painting of dogs playing poker. Your loft, that greasy spoon just off the interstate, and your cabin in the woods. Carlos Kajina is our technical producer, Ryan White, our live stream producer. Check out the live stream of this radio program on my YouTube channel, Strange Planet, and my Rumble channel, Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. Now, this hour, healing with light and sound. A business leader and inventor dreamt of making a difference in the world after two challenging relationships and the stress of careers in the automotive, telecommunications, and film industries decimated her physically, emotionally, and psychologically, leaving her with severe cardiovascular distress. After a series of full body light and sound treatments reversed her diagnosis and plunged her into the world of energy medicine and the ancient history and modern science behind these therapies. So she decided to create her own sound and light chamber and the harmonic egg was born. The harmonic egg. It's a wooden chamber designed to create an environment for deep relaxation and internal balance. As energy vibration builds within the chamber, it connects with the participant's autonomic nervous system to allow the natural healing of mind, body, and spirit. Gail Lynn is an inventor, author, intuitive, spiritual teacher, and business leader. In her, work, in her work, Gail shares insights and speaks about the modality of sound and light healing, old traumas, and taking back your life as a means to healing the mind, body, and soul. She also shares how universal laws, law of attraction, and law of cause and effect as the means by which illness entered her body, and then how she healed these conditions through ancient healing practices. Gail Lynn, good to have you here. How are you? Hey, Richard. Great. I'm doing awesome. How are you doing? Very well. I know you've been, we've been on, uh, on my podcast together and we did a coast to coast together. I don't know. Have you been on the radio show with me? I don't know. Yes. Yes. We did one before coast to coast. Ah, we did. Okay. See, does a harmonic egg work on memory? Because maybe I need to <laughs> stick my head in there. <laughs> um, 
so let me just uh, because it's been a while since you've been on and and um, some some of our listeners, many of them maybe didn't hear you the first time. So just give us a bit of I, I, I raced through a bit of that backstory about your your um, your cardiovascular uh, stress. And if I'm remembering correctly, uh, after I mean, you you uh, you had these real uh, stressful relationships. You were basically, you know, you were working yourself into an early grave. Did your, did your heart doctor tell you you had the heart of an 80 year old or something at some point? Yes, there was, it was not a heart doctor, but it was a doctor that was reading my heart rate variability test and said that I had basically the heart of an 80 year old and on the verge of an instant heart attack. And I was 37 years old. That was crazy. Wow. You were literally working yourself into an early grave. Yeah. And so then you, how did then, how did you at that point discover um, sound and light therapy? You went to a, a, a place in, was it Denver? No, in Arizona, actually. Arizona. Okay. Yeah. How did you, how did you, did someone say you should well, try this or? Yeah. Yeah. I was, um, I was at a CEO kind of C-level conference and uh, there was a speaker there and he uh, was the inventor of this light box. And, you know, I'm pretty skeptical anyway and got an engineering mind. And he's up on stage and he's talking about this little boy who had brain surgeries and it was told uh, the doctor said he would never walk, he would never talk, he would never grow hair, he would never have teeth. And, you know, the mom was uh, was saying, you know, no one gets to put any kind of boundaries on my son. And at the end of his presentation, you see this little boy walk out on the stage. He's walking with arm crutches. He has hair. He has teeth. I, I, I was just amazed. And I thought, this light box can do this? And I pushed my way to the front of the stage, which, you know, that's just kind of my personality. And I asked the inventor, I said, you know, could this help with migraine headaches? Because that one, that was plaguing me for 23 years. I never knew when I would get a migraine. They would just come on. And he said to me, the body doesn't know disease by name. And I thought, what a jerk. That's not an answer. <laughs> <laughs> what a jerk. Yeah, what a jerk, right? Why well, didn't that was that was a little more, you know, crude than that, but I thought, you know, that's not an answer. It's yes or no, right? Well, now that I've been in the industry, I know you can't make claims. You can't tell somebody that they can be healed. You can't give them a guarantee or make a claim. Well, you know, after what I saw with this little guy, I thought, you know, I'm going to go try it. So I actually flew to Arizona and tried it. There was a doctor um, in the in the center at the time, did the heart rate variability test on me and told me this information about my heart. And I did three days worth of sessions and they redid the heart rate variability test and that cardiovascular stress was already gone. Gone after three sessions. And what yeah. did this light box look like? So it was a rectangular box. Um, you would lie on a, a foam pad and there would be music coming up from underneath and you were lying with your head underneath a, a light fixture 
and it was a rainbow-colored light bulb. Literally, you could read Sylvania 40 Watt on the <laughs> light bulb. And I'm thinking, this is woo-woo crap stuff that I, I'm just not into. But I couldn't deny the test results. And, of course, I'm making it up in my head. Well, maybe because I'm in Arizona and the weather's different and the sun's out, right? Because I couldn't make it fit in my head that this could actually do anything. So I ended up doing some research on it, and I noticed my asthma symptoms went away after about a month. My eyesight was, um, it had improved. I went to an eye doctor, and the eye doctor literally said, why are you wearing glasses? I said, because I've been wearing them since I was 19. He said, your eyesight's 2020. Wow. Wow. So I, I couldn't deny that, you know, there's something to sound and light. And I dove into it like a crazy person. And um, I opened my own center. And this was 2007. And by 2009, I had dove into it so deeply that I understood it very well and opened my own center in 2010 with these uh, light boxes. So what is – can you explain – Briefly and and in 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 a very basic way, the the mechanics of how light can heal. Are there particular frequencies? Are we talking about the visible spectrum? Are we talking about color? Yeah, great question. So you know, a lot of people want to say you know five twenty eight hertz is going to you know heal the DNA, and they work on the Solfeggio Suite. But what I was finding as I dove into David Hawkins' work, which he has the work power versus force, and he looks at like a scale of consciousness and looking at uh, things like anger can be, um, you know, really low vibration, maybe 150 hertz. But then you look at pure consciousness and it goes from 700 to 1,000 hertz. And I started looking at that. I thought, well, if we create you create a pure consciousness device like the harmonic egg that vibrates at over a thousand hertz already, why would I put music in there that's 528 hertz? Wouldn't that bring it down? What if a person had been working on themselves for so long and they vibrate at 600 hertz? Why would I want to put them on 396 hertz of the Solfeggio suite? Um, so I started looking at the waveforms of instruments and you know, we're vibrational beings of light. So why not heal with, you know, the vibration and this and the light, the color? So you look at the the simple form of a flute, the waveform of a flute, flute is very simple. And I started to read books that it was relating to the liver. So flute music will help with the liver. And then really? I started. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, there's a book, if anybody's interested, um, Kay Gardner, um, Sounding the Inner Landscape. I learned a lot. After I read about 100 books, I found her book. And I wish I would have found her book first. But, you know, it was a learning journey. And you look at the sound wave of a piano. And if you look at the way the EKG of the heart goes up and down, you can kind of see the sound wave of a piano going that way. And we've discovered that it really helps the nervous system in the harmonic egg and drumming. We did pre and post uh, live blood analysis and we were seeing more white blood cells after listening to some drumming music in the harmonic egg. 
Um, so I'm like, okay, so if you can put these things together, why would you put 528 hertz? Let's look at the sound waves of the instruments and the color spectrums and how they are associated with the chakras. And we'll look at the maladies of the client, what they want to work on. So say they want to work on the liver, then we're looking at orange light and flute music. And so I put together a whole training manual for my center owners that own a harmonic egg and showed them how they can put together protocols for people to help them balance the chakras because we're not medical doctors, so we can't treat or diagnose. But a lot of the maladies come from an emotional trauma, an imbalance in the, the chakras, um, just an imbalance from a physical trauma and people get into pain. And so you can look at blue light for, for relieving pain and headaches. And it's been a, a beautiful journey. And the, the inventor of the light box was a mentor of mine, but I learned a lot about what not to do um, to help people to build this kind of business to support others in their, in their healing journey. So how did you then stumble onto the idea, not stumble, that's, or maybe you did, the, the, the shape. You wanted, to, you wanted to improve the light box, and you decided, well, I'm going to make it the shape of an egg. Well, I don't know, were you watching Mork and Mindy one night, and you know, <laughs> Mork comes down with the egg, and what happened? Yeah, it was in Boulder, Colorado, when it came to me. No. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, yeah, really what happened was um, I talked to a lot of shamans, a lot of healers, and they said, you know, when you have a rectangular box, a lot of times, and this will go a little bit airy-fairy, a little bit woo-woo, but if somebody releases a dark energy, it stays in the corners, and it's really hard to clear, and people, the next person can actually pick it up. A lot of people also told me I can't lie flat for an hour. It's, it hurts my back, and some people are heavy set, and they have a hard time getting up from that position after an hour. Um, the music was distorting because the four the four inch foam pad. Uh, so I took a lot of the clients' complaints, and I said, okay, so if I put a zero gravity chair and they're reclined, and we make the egg, we make um, a 360 degree healing device, which then kind of morphed into an egg. And you look at Victor Schauberger's work with. Um, the egg shape and he talked about if you have water inside of a uh, dispenser that's the shape of an egg the vibration is always you know healing with that water and the the water is a high vibration and I thought we come from an egg I mean why not heal in an egg and I started to have these visions and I started to talk to manufacturers can we build a large wooden egg and they said no it's impossible and well, because have, of the rounded, because you can't. Right, right. You know, it, right. we tried to, we tried to steam the wood, and we tried to bend the wood, and it would crack. And I had a friend who was just crazy enough, crazy as as much as I am, and uh, he said, "I'll build it for you." And I said, "Yeah, well, I've been told you can't do it." And he said, "Well, you know, let's try it." So it took a year. A lot of um. A lot of trials and tribulations, but we made it work. And it's it's amazing consciousness. It's just I can't even I can say that I can put my name on it 
as the inventor, but it, I'm, I have to laugh because I didn't invent this thing. It came through me. Right. That's interesting because that's the way when uh, I've been watching Paul McCartney on YouTube talking about the lyrics because he's got that book out now about the lyrics. Nice. And and he, he talks about that all the time throughout his career, how he isn't, the you know, he's not the author of the song. He's the retransmitter that I guess, you know, the, the songs are out there in the ether and they come to him. And then so um, maybe that's how he wrote Back to the Egg, right? Which is was the last album from Wings. Was he talking about your yeah. egg, do you suppose? I, yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> I was I was really little at that time. I love the Beatles, and I've been to um, Liverpool and been on the Magical Mystery Tour, and uh, yeah, I got to meet John Lennon's half sister. But I we almost got to meet Paul McCartney, but it didn't happen. Um, wow. But maybe you know, I mean, I think he's right. You know, now that I see this from the other side, where I am an inventor now, I didn't invent anything. I just it just came through me and. I think all these ideas are out there for somebody to pick up and it just takes somebody to pick the idea up and, and run with it. Because I have heard people say, well, I had that idea about a large wooden egg a long time ago, but they didn't do anything with it. Right, right. So is is the, the type of wood important? So it is and it isn't. So we've been studying the density of different woods because we are going to start um, manufacturing in Canada. We're going to start manufacturing in Europe. We're going to start manufacturing in Thailand. And, you know, God bless COVID because it has really um, taken the business to another level because we've been presented with challenges of travel restrictions and stuff. So we've made the best of it. And we're there in Thailand, they can get a lot of teak wood, but I think it's the shape. In all the testing that we're doing, the shape is the key, the resonant chamber, the cubic airspace of the inside of the egg where you're enclosed. And don't worry, you claustrophobic people, it's large. That would be me. That would yeah, be me. it's large. And you, we can even crack the door if you, you know, you're not comfortable. There's a doorbell in there. It's it's so amazing. You don't. You feel so um, expansive in there. It feels huge, um, but that's the golden ratio, and it's um, wood is has its own fingerprint. Every tree has its own fingerprint, so every egg is unique. And I think the more important is the dimensions, and not necessarily the wood. Mm. So let's let's see how this works. Let's say I come to you and maybe I've got a couple of problems. I've got some macular degeneration and I've got um, some really bad uh, arthritis, maybe osteoarthritis, it's degenerative. So I climb into the egg and what happens next? Well, first you would talk to the practitioner or the person that was gonna be um, administering your session and they would do a little intake with you and get to know you a little bit and you know, kind of explain to you that arthritis can be inflammation and blue light can help reduce inflammation. And then they would explain to you a little bit about, you know, an eye disease could be an imbalance in the third eye chakra. And we have music to bring that third eye chakra back into balance and different light colors like indigo colored light. And then they would um, escort you to the chair they would recline you in a position that was comfortable for you. 
um, give you a blanket, get you all comfy, show you that there's a doorbell in there that if you needed anything, uh, you could ring the doorbell and they would be at your service. And you recline in there for 40 minutes of music and 10 minutes of silence. So the music's going on. It's not real loud. Anything over 90 decibels is going to be damaging, you know, the cells of the body. So we keep it to 50 to 70 or so decibels. Um, it's really relaxing music. Most of it is instrumental because we're looking at the waveforms of the instruments. And I've designed a lot of the music with musicians and told them, you know, I need this piece to have birds and drumming and, and flute. And this piece needs to be harp and, you know, wind. And then you, the music fades to silence for 10 minutes. And that's your integration period. That's the time that you're sitting there and you're just enjoying the silence. You're enjoying being with yourself. You're no, you know that your body's figuring out, your nervous system's figuring out what happened. And it's the most important part of the session. And when mm -hmm. chiropractors have learned chiropractic, technically they're supposed to let you lie for 15, 30 minutes to let that integrate, whatever cracking and popping they did. But a lot of them just send you back out the door and you don't hold those uh, sessions as well as you could if you just spent that little bit of time letting the body feel into it and integrate. Fascinating. Fascinating. I'm just you're talking about composing this music or having the musicians compose. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I'm going to be, uh, this isn't meant to be flippant, but it, maybe it is <laughs> like, no, they're like, you know, a, a concerto in D minor for the liver or, you know, a, um, I don't know, a song specifically written for the stomach. Absolutely. There actually is. So there is a lady, her name is Ani Williams, and she um, she does voice analysis. So she'll actually listen to your voice and say, um, you're missing the tone of D from your voice, right? Yeah. Which you could have stomach problems if you're missing the tone of D. And so really, wow. Yeah. yeah. So it's uh, the color orange. The chakra is, you know, the um, sacral chakra, sacral chakra. And it also relates to the spleen, you know, the stomach, gallbladder, liver. And it's really super interesting that I tested about 100 people in their voices and I found that these charts that we use for the centers are pretty accurate. That it there is a correlation when you're missing a tone from your voice. There's a physical correlate and an emotional correlate. So we have designed music where if you have lung issues, we're going to use the tone of E. And I've specifically consulted with musicians and have pieces that are done in the tone of E. Remarkable. All right, Gail, we're going to step away here for a moment, come back, and then we'll get back to the egg. Gail in and the harmonic egg right here. Stay with us. Peering into the shadows where the truth often hides. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. Pin 
numbers, passcodes, social insurance numbers. If they make you wonder how private they are, here's two more numbers. 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. We're back with Gail Lynn, business leader, inventor, intuitive, spiritual teacher, and uh, we're talking about her invention, creation, the harmonic egg for uh, healing with sound and light. Uh, if someone has, we've been talking about some physical ailments, what about um, psychological or you know, mental illnesses, things like depression, autism, schizophrenia? Yeah, great question. Um, depression can be heavy metals. It could be inflammation. Um, autism can be heavy metals, toxic load. Schizophrenia is a tough one. Um, I, I can't say I had a, I've had a lot of luck with that particular ailment, um, but some of the centers have, and they understand it a little bit more because they have family members that have um, schizophrenia. Um, I have so many amazing stories with autism. Uh, I think the autistic community is a high vibration and they really get the egg. Um, they only know love, you know, like children and animals only know love and they seem to heal faster. If we only knew love, I think healing could be easy. Interesting. So uh, you, you mentioned animals. You, so you can you can use the egg for your pets as well. Yes, I put my horse in there all the time. How do you get your? Are you <laughs> pulling my leg? How do you get your horse in the egg? No, Come I on. put her picture in there. You put her picture in there. Yeah. So oh, what that's happened? right. I remember this. We discussed this. Yes. Yeah. You, you can actually just put a photograph of the person in there. Tell me. This is amazing. Tell me more about that. Well, this is amazing because I didn't think it was possible, but when COVID happened, we had a client who said, I have COVID. And I said, well, you can't come to the center. And uh, she said, yeah, I know. But she said, I feel like I'm on my deathbed. And I said, oh my gosh, like, I don't know what to do to help you. She was a dear, dear, dear client had become a friend. And I said, you know what? I've heard about remote healing. Let's try it. So she sent me her picture and I put her her beautiful name and her birth date on there. And we set the intention um, that, you know, she would feel better. And I didn't know what was going to happen. And uh, she said within the hour, her temperature came down from 103, went to 99 uh, within that one hour of being in the egg with her picture. So that's kind of how remote sessions were created. And um, my horse... I went to see my horse one day and she had about a two inch cyst just hanging from her uh, chest, I guess I'll call it. Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh my gosh, where'd this come from? It just kind of showed up out of nowhere. So I called one of the centers and I said, can I send you a picture of my horse? Can you put her in? They did. The next day I could see the sagging skin, but I could not feel the cyst anymore. And by the third day, the skin had absorbed back up and she was back to normal. What in the world? Uh, what in the world indeed? Um, that reminds me, um, Patty Greer is on this program 
quite often. And uh, she's a crop circle uh, researcher and filmmaker. She goes over to England and she makes, gets in the plane and flies over and makes all these, has made all these films about crop circles. And it was either her or I think it was her who told me that the actual photograph of a crop circle can have the same effect as when people walk inside a crop circle, they report certain effects. Some of them can be healing, and but but also if you're in the proximity of a photograph of that crop circle, it can have the same effect. So, what the heck is going on here, Gail? Well, you know, I think everything is energy and intention. And I know about these crop circles. I've heard this story before. There's also ancient temples that people would would walk through, and by the time they walk through them, the stories go that they grew their limbs back. They might have been missing a finger and they'd walk through this temple and the finger would grow back. Wow. Weird stuff. And if it's all energy and it's pure intention and it's created around love, why do we believe that we can't heal? Why do we believe that we can't regenerate things? My, my boyfriend's heart has regenerated. He uh, was in a marriage, you know, with his soulmate 27 years and she passed away. Um, and he had a heart attack, and they told him 40% of his heart died, and they put in a pacemaker and some stents. And uh, he had, he's done lots of sessions in the egg, and he used to use the light box. Well, 10 years later, they want to change the battery in these things just to make sure the pacemakers are still, you know, they're going to mm-hmm. continue to work. They can't take them out uh, because they the, the wires start to grow into the muscles and the tissue and around the heart. And they took his ejection fraction and his cardiac output numbers. And um, I had a medical doctor client. And he said, you know, give me his numbers. and Let me just see how much of his heart is still dead or, you know, if it's if there's more of it dead. And he kept looking at the numbers and he looked at me. He looked back at the numbers and he said, Gil, are they, these are his numbers? I said, yeah. He said his heart is fully functioning. This there's nothing dead anymore. And and I said, well, how is that possible? Yeah, you can't regrow heart cells or brain cells. We're told, right? We're told, and I've heard so many stories about people, you know, regenerating organs like the liver. I've heard of people regenerating their thyroid after their thyroid has been removed. There's still some cells that are left. So you know, I scratch my head as an engineer and say, how is this possible? But why can't it be possible? Our bodies are amazing. Hmm. You had, um, if I recall, um, an interesting kind of testimonial or case study. Was he an old, he was a kind of a curmudgeon. uh, uh, Was he a veteran from the Vietnam War? Yes, yes. Tell me about this character. So... Yeah, he came into my center and um, he was in a wheelchair and his friend brought him in and his friend was the one that built the prototype egg too. So he, you know, he, he made him come in and uh, his name is TQ and he was a Marine. And what he said was the battle of Hastings where all these Marines went in and like 15 of them came out. He's the last living one. Everybody is, is has passed, and they were all overweight and very unhealthy. And he was kind of on that that path to to pass away. So 
you know, he asked me if I could help him. And I said, you know, I could, but he'd have to listen. And he was pretty, pretty adamant that he wasn't going to listen to this young, this young girl, me. And uh, I put him in the egg. He had a great experience. And um, he was just saying, well, I'm not going to do what you say. I said, well, then you need to just leave because you're wasting my time and you're wasting your money. And it was almost like a reverse psychology that I didn't even realize I was doing because then he was, he was, uh, he said, well, I'm going to just do it just because you said, you know, <laughs> to leave. Right. And it was just, it's been an amazing journey with him, um, from seeing him so angry about, you know, he almost gave his life and he saw so many friends give their life. And when he came back from Vietnam, people threw tomatoes at them and they were so mean to them. So he was really an angry, angry person. And I watched how the egg softened him. And he had, let's see, one kidney was completely dead. One was functioning at, I want to say, 20 percent. I've seen 15,000 clients, so I'm trying to remember the whole story. Um the kidney came back to life and the other one was functioning at 60%. The doctors could not figure out what he was doing. Um, his heart grew by a centimeter. Why were they measuring his heart? I don't know. Um, but they just couldn't figure out how is this guy not dead when all the other people that came back that survived this battle are dead. And he said, you know, Gail, you saved my life. And, you know, I said, no, I didn't because you listened. He changed his diet. He came to the egg consistently. He started walking again. He started driving again. Um, it was just an amazing transformation. Is there too much of a good thing? Can you do too much time in the egg? Absolutely. Absolutely. There's a detox reaction. So if you, if you do any kind of energy work, you got to let it integrate. If you do acupuncture, you should let it integrate for a couple of days. If you get a massage, you should let it integrate for a couple of days. You shouldn't just put energy work on top of energy work on, you know, so too much of a good thing is it, it is a thing. You need to let these modalities integrate. And there's so many people out there that are these energy medicine junkies. Do you remember the seminar junkies? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So they're energy medicine junkies and they're actually hurting themselves because they're spinning their bodies out of control by putting their body through one energy modality and then another. And they have these, these me days and these spa days and they do infrared sauna and a, and a massage and acupuncture all on the same day. Wow. And I <laughs> that, just, that's a little much. It's a, it's a lot. And right. I mean, I tell people to wait one week to um, let a, an egg session integrate. And I think that probably is even soon, you know, too soon for some uh, people. All right, Gail, we got to take another time out. We'll come back. And then the next segment is kind of a shorter one. Uh, so we'll chat and then we'll, uh, we'll talk some more. Gail Lynn, inventor, author, intuitive, creator of the Harmonic Egg, HarmonicEgg.com, the website, HarmonicEgg.com. Check it out. It's fascinating. Back with more in a moment. Providing the evidence and letting you draw your own conclusions. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett on Zoomer Radio. We're back with Gail Lynn, HarmonicEgg.com. 
And her book is Unlocking the Ancient Secrets to Healing. Unlocking the Ancient Secrets to Healing. Uh, now there's a new um, thing out there. They're called med beds. Is that related to the, is it the same technology or the same idea behind the harmonic egg with these med beds? What are they all about? Well, yeah, it's interesting. They're kind of all the rave, rage right now. Um, you know, I believe in less technology versus more technology, but they're very technology looking. They're plastic, metal. They seem to have a lot of uh, maybe EMFs or technology running through them. So I purposely created the egg so that it didn't have any Wi-Fi. It didn't have any Bluetooth. None of the components um, are run by Wi-Fi or Bluetooth. And these MedBed technology, this MedBed technology looks very cold and clinical, but it seems like people are just waiting for them. They've been talking about them coming out for years and so I call the harmonic egg a type of med bed, but it's all natural material. The harmonic egg is where these are made out of these plastics and metals. And, you know, healers traditionally aren't really good at marketing. And somehow these med beds, everybody knows about them. So you know, I, I have a little bit of a curiosity about who's behind them. I almost wonder if... if um, Big Pharma's behind them, and there might be something that will alter the DNA of the human being um, getting in them. I'm not sure. There's something suspicious about them. Hmm. What Are they making any claims? Oh, they make a ton of claims. They said they're going to regrow limbs. They'll be able to eliminate any disease. They'll be able to uh, do surgeries inside these med beds with laser technology. Uh, it seems... A little bit far-fetched, but people are so excited about them and so looking forward to them. But I would just say to people, you know, be discerning and and make sure you know who's behind some of these modalities that you're going to put your body into. Um, we do a lot of testing, you know, the integrity of the company, the integrity of the inventor, the integrity of the manufacturing process. So even when I take a supplement, I, I will test the supplement, you know, who, what kind of companies behind this, this product, you know, who's the inventor, what's the manufacturing process like, so that I get a feel for the energy of it before I put it into my body. Right. I mean, that's what big pharma does, right? They take something organic and natural, uh, and then they synthesize it and then they create something else, uh, a synth well, a synthetic form of something that was organic and natural. It sounds like that maybe is what they're doing with with the med bed. Yeah, I'm not sure. It's a really curious thing to me um, it, because everybody has seen pictures of them, but I don't know anybody that's actually been in them. And they keep saying they're going to they're gonna be coming out. They're going to save the world. They're going to change the whole hospital system. So I just have this curious feeling that Big Pharma might be behind it. And it's not going to be as, as good as people say um, on our human bodies, if you will. So at the, at the risk of uh, entering further into the world of woo-woo, um, you, you describe in your book, I believe it's in, in, in Unlocking the Ancient Secrets to Healing, you talk about encounters with certain entities that people have had or maybe you've had while inside the harmonic egg. Talk to me a little bit about that. 
Yeah, yeah, it is a bit woo-woo. And a lot of the kids, you know, because I don't see them. Um, I feel them now, but I didn't even see or feel them in the beginning. But kids will say, hey, can you close the door because the big white guy's working on my head? So there's some kind of an angelic being or maybe Andromedan. People have described blue Andromedans. They've described um, Arcturians. They've described a being that is from another dimension. One lady told me she was a, a very psychic channeler. And she said they're almost like doctors from a, another dimension or planet. Uh, some people say they're Syrian. Uh, some say they're Palladian. And they're the ones that are working on you inside the egg. And if it's a difficult case, she said sometimes another being will drop in, almost like a chief of staff, to tell these other doctors what to do and then leave. So I've had, oh, hundreds of experiences where people tell me about, the, they, they call them angels, they call them beings, uh, they've called them uh, other dimensional doctors. And it's just really curious that there's an energy around the egg that they support the clients in the egg. Wow. And nothing uh, to be afraid of either. I mean, it's they're beautiful. Um, I hear story after story. Some people feel that they have been touched by them. Um, my girlfriend, she said, oh, I, wanna, I want to experience these beings. I'm going to go ask. So she said she outstretched her hands and she said, okay, I want to feel you. So, you know, show me who you are. And she said she felt uh, like a four finger grip around her hand. And she's like, oh my God, I can't open my eyes. I don't want to see. I don't want to see. <laughs> Can that happen remotely too? If you put the, the photograph in the egg? I haven't heard of it happening remotely. Um, I've heard people, I had a lady in today, she's one of the center owners and she's, uh, she was out in Europe and she had a, a bit of a mishap and passed out in Europe. And so she emailed me this morning and she said, can you please put me in for a remote session? And I did. And, um, she said immediately she could feel the egg working on her. Uh, she could feel the energies of the egg. And she said she felt so much better after the session and she thanked me and said she was going to go, you know, to sleep. Um, but yeah, it just, it was brilliant. Even when I, I sometimes go to get somebody out of the egg and there'll be a smell just as if they were in there in person, some kind of off gassing of maybe a mold smell or a heavy metal smell. And how is it that we're getting that from a picture? Because energetically, I, I get energy, but my engineering mind can't figure this out. How am I getting a smell from that person's picture being in the egg? Wow, that's remarkable. Gail, we'll take one final time out, come back and chat a little bit more about the Harmonic Egg. HarmonicEgg.com. Gail Lynn is with us. Stick around. We'll be uh, back with more. Take a look around. What do you really see? This is where you can tell all about it. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett on Zoomer Radio. I'm just looking at the uh, some of the comments in the YouTube live chat here, Gail, and someone um, mentioned whether this harmonic egg might be opening up some kind of a portal. What do you think? Well, that's a, that's 
what we're finding, it's happening. Um, it feels like the eggs are a self-organizing system and they're connecting to each other through the matrix of the planet, through the crystalline grid, because we've had, uh, we had a, an egg center go into Asheville, uh, North Carolina, and he has a dragon portal on his property. Three days later, I had a client come out of the center in Westminster, Colorado and say, Gail, there's dragon energy in this in the eggs now. So it doesn't surprise me anymore when we drop an egg on another piece of land somewhere in the world, all the eggs seem to be programmed with that energy. It is something I can't say that I understand right now, but there is um, uh, research and science around self-organizing systems, and it almost feels like the, the egg is creating a portal wherever it is on the land, wherever it goes. And it feels like the eggs are choosing which pieces of land and which owners they want to be with. Hmm. How does that work? Uh, if it's not a good match, what happens? They usually just kind of fall off. So I had a couple of gentlemen call me and they just saw cha-ching dollar signs. Okay, well, that's not what the eggs are about. You need to be in, a, you need to be in, a, in service and not worry about the money. There's an energy and money and there's an exchange of energy and money is just an energy. And they were just saying, oh, I can see all the money I can make. And I said, you know what? I don't think that, you know, you're going to make a lot of money. It's more about being in service and helping people have a different quality of life. And I never heard from them again. Hmm. So what is the, I mean, if, uh, while you mentioned money, what what is the, the, the business plan, if I can use that word business plan, uh, to get these eggs to proliferate them, to get what, what, do, what do you see a, a, a harmonic egg in every neighborhood? How, how does that happen? Yeah, the way I, I do it, I make sure there's a population, a, a certain population or distance in between them so that the center owners can be successful. Because I, when I owned the light box, the inventor put a center just like 10 miles away from me and I felt really invasive and I felt really hard to be a small business owner and then he would just put one right there down the street so we kind of keep them separate and um you know big cities can have a few but small towns you know we're not going to put one in you know two of them in a small town so we're really particular about um where they go and to make sure that the center owners are successful we're not a franchise but I've created almost like a divine feminine business model of a cooperation and not competition. It's it's really beautiful that the family um, of egg owners, uh, they're just really beautiful people. And uh, how many uh, harmonic eggs are out there right now? We have delivered, I want to say 68. We're, we have uh, commitments for about 150 is what I, what the guys told me. Um, we have, there's, just going out every week now. It's crazy. So we've delivered, I believe it's been 68 we've delivered. And how do we find one near us? Um, HarmonicEgg.com. Go to the locations tab, put in your zip code, and we've got it all uh, figured out where it'll show you your closest location. And um, what would, what would a, is it up to the owners uh, how much they charge? Or what would a session uh, cost to, to go into the egg? 
Yeah, I tell the center owners to look at the demographics and make sure that they're affordable. We don't want it to be for just the classes. We want it to be for the masses. So you're usually a, a, a session will run you between uh, 90 and $130, depending on where you are. Of course, if you're in L.A., uh, you know, it's going to be a little more expensive than in if you're in um, South Dakota. Uh, so, I mean, you, you, you've read, like you said, over a hundred books on healing with sound and light. Uh, how do, how do you train people or is there like, um, is there a manual? Someone comes in and says, I've got, uh, tinnitus and I've got, um, I don't know, a, a sprained ankle and they can look it up and say, okay, you get orange and this is the song we're going to play. I mean, how does that how do you train Yeah, them? they have a required reading list of about 21 books. Um, wow. They have a cheat sheet, which is great. So tinnitus could be inflammation. It could be heavy metals. It could be an Epstein-Barr virus. It could be a kidney or liver issue. It could be parasites. It could be a Lyme disease. So there's a process of elimination, but they have a cheat sheet. And I write protocols for the centers to help um, with what you see the most. We see a lot of Lyme disease. We see a lot of people coming in for weight loss. And uh, so I write protocols for them to follow. But they are reading the required reading. They're learning. We do owner calls every six to eight weeks. We have a private Facebook page for them to ask us uh, questions. And some of the more seasoned center owners will help the ones that are coming you know, up and they just opened. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a, it's a great family and not everybody's going to have a successful egg session. I will tell you some people come in and they leave and say, well, nothing happened. I just fell asleep. I think everybody does have something that will happen. Um, because you don't know what it, what it feels like when your liver enzymes are normalizing. It doesn't feel like anything. Um, and then there's a, I'd say a small percentage of the population that is so identified with their disease that they're never going to heal. I had a lady to come in and she said, I'm seeing new neurotransmitters forming. I have this brain injury and I'm feeling the cranial nervous system. She was a um, psychologist. I can feel the cranial nervous system and I can feel it healing. So I'm not going to come back. Hmm. And I said, what? You, did you just say you're not coming back? She said, Gail, I don't know who I would be without my brain injury. Really? Mm-hmm. My word. Um, what would people like Royal Raymond Rife think about the harmonic egg? So um, I feel like Rife's technology, Rife's consciousness is part of this technology. It's Tesla, Rife, and Edgar Casey that I feel really that I tapped into. And people actually have seen Royal Rife inside the egg doing some little tweaking and uh, oh, wow. it's it was a crazy story. So I went to see Stephen Ross at the World Research Foundation in uh, Sedona, Arizona, and I got to sit in the library with Rife's original um, books, and he had some lab books. Um, so I just kind of sat in the library to just really try to um, absorb that energy. Now, Rife used the universal microscope, and he would you know, stain the cells and when this, you know, he could see each person as an individual looking at their cells through the universal microscope. Um, he didn't just, you know, willy nilly pick a frequency. I mean, he was really doing a lot of detailed work on that client to choose a frequency for them. So 
I think he would find it very fascinating. I think he would um, scratch his head a little bit and want to tweak it, just like he has with some clients that have seen him in the egg. Um, and I think he would really just be fascinated and get his universal microscope out and start testing people after the sessions. <laughs> do, you, do you ever foresee a, a time uh, where there'll be like, you know, when we watch, you used to have with game shows, it used to be a home version of the game show. So would you, do you foresee a time when we could get this technology somehow port, make it more portable, get it into every home? I don't know. Maybe like you could have, radio stations uh, and the frequency depending on, okay, this is my liver channel. I'll turn that on and the radio is playing that kind of music. And, and meanwhile, you've got the lights in your house uh, are, are, you know, providing whatever color and wavelength and so forth that you need to heal. Well, I put one in my home, but not everybody's going to have the, the luxury to do that. Because I and I am working on a home unit, but I don't know. I haven't prototyped it yet, or I haven't worked on it yet, as far as uh, the efficacy of it. But that's why I wrote the book. Because not everybody's going to be close to one of the 68 only 68 harmonic egg centers. So in my book, I wrote a lot about how to use sound and light healing at home through eating orange foods, or wearing orange clothing, or you know eating yellow type foods for different chakra balance. And that's why we created the music on USBs. Um, we can't put them on CDs because the music is so large of a file. They're not MP3 files. They're the largest, um, you know, uncompressed format of the songs. And they come with song sheets. So it'll tell you, hey, this song's going to be to help your liver. This song's recorded in the tone of G. Uh, this one's recorded in the tone of E for your lungs. So I've had people report to me that after listening to the music, they've actually had a heavy metal taste in their mouth or they have um, they have their pets. They'll play the music and the pets come running into the room and, and lay down. So something's happening energetically and people can take a little bit of the harmonic egg home with them um, by getting some of the music, doing Fantastic. remote sessions. Yeah, it's great. Gail? Always fun talking with you, and uh, we'll do it again sometime. Thank you so much for this. Thanks, Richard. Gail in HarmonicEgg.com. HarmonicEgg, all one word, dot com. All right, that's it for me. My thanks to Ryan and Carlos, as always. Back next week with another uh, live program. We'll talk demographics. The science of demographics is fascinating. I think you'll enjoy it. And uh, also Robert Sullivan IV will be here talking about occultic uh, or occult symbology in movies and television. Uh, in the meantime, don't be afraid. There is nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.